listening to Life's a Blitz podcast. This is episode number six, Readings and Writing. Hey guys, this is Rod uh, Kristen sitting this one out tonight. I'm here with, uh, with John Brown. You can follow him at JB underscore WWFGD. And David Voorhees, you can follow him at Author Horror. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. I'm surviving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of you's doing better than the other one. I know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm here, though. I'm here. Yeah. Well, we we appreciate you taking one for the team, John. <laughs> we know you're we know you're toughing it out tonight. <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah. I said we have to get the old misery axe out. Hey, that's what painkillers are for. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're just gonna. We're gonna we're gonna read from uh, you know works that we have in progress tonight and um, you know we've we've all been uh, spending a lot of time writing lately um, I mean probably some of us more than others but um, I mean depending on the day and the week probably because <laughs> we all have other stuff going on like jobs and everything but um, you know I think we've all been been uh, writing quite a bit um, you know I know I have been and John has been you you've been uh, how about you, David? How how much um, how much have you actually been able to write here with your work schedule and everything? Well, with the the weather turning, you know, getting colder, I've been actually spending most of my free time getting the house ready for winter. You know, winterizing the windows and getting that kind of stuff ready. So I really have not wrote in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but you you've got a ton of stuff going. I do, Always. and I've. I've got about three or four stories I'm writing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and it, John, you've been working primarily on your, on your, uh, on editing your sure. first book, but you also started your second one that you, you're still working mostly on just the editing of the first one, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'd, I'd, I'd written the first one. And and in all my enthusiasm, I shipped it off to <laughs> a few a few agents. And in the waiting period, um, I sent it off to some test readers, uh, you guys, and a, and a handful of other friends. And in the meantime, I was like, hey, I'm still in the creative vein of working with these characters. I still feel like there's more I can do with them. Let's let's make you know a, a second novel using these same you know the same group of people. And so I started that one and I got, I would say roughly probably about maybe 20 to 25% of the way into that one started getting some rejections and I took the rejections kind of as a blessing. Um, you know, cause once they came back, they didn't, they didn't give me feedback. They didn't say we don't like it or anything like that. They just said, Hey, this isn't in our wheelhouse, you know, best of luck type of thing. Mm -hmm. But what that allowed me to do, especially when I started getting some feedback from some readers, um, it allowed me to go back through and just dig in in a little bit of greater detail, clean up not just a lot of the little things, a lot of the little moving pieces, but, you know, in discussions with, you know, people like you and some, you know, and, and some other people, I thought there's more I can do with this first book. It doesn't feel complete to me. Um, it feels like it's missing some pieces. And so then I went back, added in, God, it ended up, I ended up adding five more chapters. Um, yeah. And then once that, 
once it felt like that was where I wanted it and I was like, okay, now this feels like a complete story and everything feels better connected. I dove back into editing and proofreading and I've been doing that for about six weeks and it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And that, I just have to say from my standpoint, just talking with you after having, having read that first, uh, yeah, we'll call it the, the first edition or whatever you want to call it. First draft. First draft, yeah, that you that you sent to me. Um, I guess not a first edition. <laughs> the first draft that you sent to me, um, and then kind of going back and forth on ideas. It, it was unique. It was kind of unique from my standpoint because it, this is this is your book. So so I was trying to give give you ideas, but yeah, but know that that it's purely your uh, your work and your uh, you know your creativity that put this together. So I'm like just kind of throwing stuff out there. Um, and and, for, and I think you... that's where, I think that's where having like, you know, beta readers and, and, and not just people for a proofreading or editing aspect, but when you get better re- beta readers to come through and, and read the book and say, Hey, something, <laughs> something feels like it might be missing here, or this connection might be missing here. And, and you had some good, you, you know, you had some great feedback and some, you know, that gave me some ideas that I would say, that I kind of tweaked what you mm-hmm. gave me. I took it and I was like, Hey, I know what I can do with this, how I can make this work. Um, and the same thing, even with bouncing things off of, uh, of my wife and conversation, um, she's had some great input and feedback. And I think that's where leaning on a person that, um, has, I guess you could say a level of familiarity with maybe, um, you know, a, a character behavior or characteristic or type of, you know, something like that. Like, for example, I'm writing about, you know, a person that's a parent, um, I'm writing about a person that, you know, has had, you know, that, that, that understands child relationships and things like that. I don't have kids, but my wife has raised two of them. She, yeah. you know, you know, or, you know, I've got these, I've got female characters in my book. Well, I may not necessarily understand how a female thinks in this aspect, but I can ask my wife and she can provide feedback and, and those types of things help flesh out the characteristics of, of, and so it was, it, it, it allowed me to go back and, and fill in more pieces to create what feels I guess you could say more authentic. Um, yeah. and, and so in that aspect, I, th- I have found that very beneficial. And the irony of it all, though, is here I am six weeks later and having read my book, me multiple times, having you have read it um, and given me feedback and having gone through and cleaned it up and cleaned it up and cleaned it up. And here I am six weeks later and I'm still finding things and I'm like, wow. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and so it, it's, but it's been using, it's been using, you know, personal feedback from people. It's been using, you know, different uh, editing softwares, a couple of different editing softwares. Um, it's been using some different techniques and feedbacks that I've gotten from, from the Twitter world. Um, you know, reading thing, reading out loud, reading backwards, um, you know, these types of things that alter your focus on how things read and sound. I've have found those things very beneficial. Um, and, and so, but using all of those techniques and yet, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of work to get to what I would call a, a, a finely tuned, polished, um, you know, draft. It's, 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 it's work. Yeah, this is the work part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and, it's, it was, and it's exhausting at times because there's been days where I'm like, you know, and I kind of jokingly is like, you know, the wife and I will go to breakfast and I'll, you know, we'll come home on a Saturday or Sunday and I'll be like, oh, my God, I got to edit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, make it end. 
you know, but I, I think the, the, the big thing is you want to get to where you have that, that final draft that is, it, it, you know, it's, 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 and it's as good as condition as you can get it. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's, you know, it's pristine. It's, it's yeah. the grammar's clean. It's flow. Everything's connected. You know, all the aspects of what you are looking for in a story, um, you know, feel and it feels right. I think that's the yeah. big thing is I, I still go through and I'm still going through and I read things and I'll go, mm, this still doesn't feel right, right here. And I'll, t- and I'm still changing things, not yeah. just cleaning up grammar, not just correcting things, you know, that are, you know, in the small aspect of things, but it's actually finely tuning aspects of character interactions, things that are being said, um, you know, scene dynamics, um, descriptions, you know, the, the piece that I'm reading tonight, Steph and I walked through it and she was like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound right. You know, and we went through and she's, she's great with that kind of ear to, to be able to hear things and pick things out and then go, you know, what about this or what about this? And so having that kind of sounding board is highly beneficial. I think, uh, I saw an interview with, with King one time where he said he can go back and read some of his old stories and just pick them apart. He, he ones that he's already put out there and been out for 20 years and he will find things he hates about them and would like to change. And, and when you think about that though, I and mean, when you think about that, um, you know, that that's kind of just self-evolution too. I mean, you know, yeah. Hey, I, I wrote, I, you know, if I'm Stephen King and say, Hey, I wrote Carrie when I was X number of years old in 1973 or whatever it was and come back and reread it 30, 40 years later and go, wow, I write completely different. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't make sense here. Why would I do that? Why did I explain it that way? (laughs) I would do that here. I wouldn't do that anymore, you know? And so that kind of makes sense in in some aspects. It's just that, that personal evolution. Yeah. It it was, it was kind of funny when, uh, John, when I was bouncing ideas off of you for, uh, how to, how to kind of expand your book and uh, Mm -hmm. talking with my wife about it. And, and I said, I'm, I'm giving John all these ideas and he doesn't like any of them. Because I think you rejected like my first four or five ideas, but then you then you liked the next two, and I think uh, maybe used them in some format, and and I'm and I'm just like like it's all right, it's his book, you know. I mean, it, and it was fine because seriously, I was just I'm like all I can do is um, I was just trying to come up with ideas. It wasn't even necessarily what I would do. I'm just thinking where can he possibly, where does he have room to to expand? But I knew that it had to be what you wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and it's funny too, because that's a conversation that, you know, the wife and I have had, you know, Steph and I will talk about that and she's great about ideas, but at the same point in time, she'll be like, well, um, what about this? And I'm like, uh, and you know, and, and she'll be like, you're just not open to constructive criticism. I'm like, I am too. It's just, it doesn't, that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm, yeah. you know, but then yeah. there have been other ideas that she came through with. Um, there's been a couple of ideas or, um, dialogue dynamics where I was like, I love that. I like that. Yeah. And, yeah. or, or she'll trigger something in my brain that, that, that gives me the idea that, you know, so even though it may not specifically be that idea that she cues up, it triggers something else that gets me to where I want to be. And so it's been really helpful. And, and that's kind of what happened with this, the feedback that you gave me initially. And I can't remember what the one, one of them was, but you're like, well, what about this? Oh, I think it was, you mentioned flashbacks. 
and I was like, well, yeah. how would I do that? And how can I, and I, and I liked the idea, but I was like, I didn't, I didn't know how to make it work. I, didn't, I, was like, mm-hmm. I don't know how I can work this, but then I tweaked that idea and I was like, okay, I know how I can make this work. I'll change it into, into dream sequences. And I was able to come back and go, okay, this connects these characters to better or connects the characters to together much better now. And I've got two spots that create emotional content that create character dynamic. And I went, plus it gets you to point, it gets you in one spot from a point A to a point B that joins things together a little differently too. And it's like, okay, that became, and and because of your idea, that became very beneficial and and gave me what I would call as a very important piece of the book. I I think, I think it created key elements um, into moving the story. Yeah, and um, I mean that's just uh, that's kind of the role of, of somebody who's reading your book for you is to kind of maybe give you something that helps you in the creative process. It's not necessarily to to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. and, and I and oh, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say I've had a, quite a few people give me ideas that both I took and did not take on many of my stories that I've put out. Yeah. And, and 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 that becomes a that becomes a I, I guess it it becomes a difficult thing to navigate in the sense of for example your idea of horror is different than my idea of horror is different than Rod's idea and these pers- these people over here they may read your stuff and say oh I really like the story and have you thought about doing a story like this and their story doesn't jive or fall in sync with your type of writing or your type of storytelling. Right. But I can understand why they would possibly connect the dots and say, what about this? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it's been interesting. And, and it's like when, when Rod gave me feedback, I was really happy in the sense of to get positive feedback from somebody like Rod. You know, my books, my book takes place in Hawaii. It's around the surf world. You know, the, the, you know, the main character. Yes, he yes, he's a college football player, but he's a surfer more than anything. And, you know, there's a lot of surf lingo and surf dynamics and, and things like that in there. And so for somebody like Rod to read my book and to say, OK, I, I, I like this. I like these elements. I like how you describe things. I like the storytelling aspect. I like the characters. I, that that gave me some sense of um, you know if anything confidence um, because you're getting positive feedback from a person that is basically what I would say for lack of a better term reading outside of their comfort zone um, reading outside of their familiarity that would be like if yeah, I'm reading a, you know uh, Rod I know you're a big baseball guy that'd be like if I'm reading a book of, you know about you know some baseball this that and the other or you know mm-hmm. horror is not my thing it's a you know I, I read a couple a little bit here and there but i mean you know so the same type of thing when once you start reading outside your wheelhouse and find things that you can enjoy and appreciate and, and connect with that because that's where uh, you know that that's where you make that you know connection and in your case that 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 helped me it gave me confidence to continue in that same you know, in that same style, in that same writing style, in that same, you know, in that same vein in, in, in how I was approaching both my characters and, and, and descriptiveness or, or that kind of thing. Here's a question for you guys. Do you think it's easier to read something if, you, if you're reading something, like you said, um, for somebody, you know, just as a go through to help give feedback? You think it's easier to read something that's outside your comfort zone because you can read it just as, uh, you know, as a piece of literature and, and, you know, and not necessarily 
fall in love with the story necessarily. And, and I'm not saying I didn't like your story, John, but um, <laughs> sure. you know what I mean? No, no. You, if if yeah. you get what I'm saying, you, yeah. you're reading it more for what you're seeing versus just the story then. Is that, am I making any sense? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And for me, it's a little bit weird because, I mean, I do write primarily horror, but I think over this past couple of years, you've seen me go away from that a little bit mm-hmm. with certain stories like The Widower. And uh, they're still supernatural in a sense, but they're not horror. Right. You know, they're more emotionally charged. Right. Um, yeah. Abigail's Odyssey, although you could probably a little bit of horror in that. That really wasn't much of a horror story. Not more suspense, right. I would say. Yeah. yeah. More suspense, adv- adventure type thing. Yeah. Um, so, well, the wish box, that was incredibly both emotionally charged and, and it had a little bit of horror in it, but not a lot. Um, so when I read stories that aren't necessarily in my genre, I don't know because I read so many different genres. I don't just read horror all day long. That might really mess me up if I did. <laughs> yeah. But I have such a wide range and I can really just dive into any just about if it's a good story, I can dive into it. Okay. And I say I've, I've read about half of John's book and it's not because I don't like it. I actually really do like it. I just haven't had much time <laughs> to read. And then. When it gets down to like nighttime, I'm like so tired. I just ended up falling asleep. Yeah, so. yeah I, I got into John's book and I, I kind of got yeah. once I got started on it. I don't know if I got started on it right away or not, but once I got started on right. it, it, it was you know to me it was a pretty easy read. And I got through it fairly quickly. Going to sound horrible, but when I'm reading it, I'm thinking of like the Hawaii Five O TV series. I'm thinking of the Magnum <laughs> PI TV series because that's really my biggest. Uh, connection to hawaii i've been to hawaii i spent a whole one day there that's one day more than i've been well i should take that back i spent two days there on two different trips but one trip i never got to leave the ship the second trip i got to leave the ship for one day and i got to see a very little bit of the island so then i left i I think i think in some sense you know it's kind of funny too because I've been I've been to Hawaii five times. Uh, I've been to Oahu four times. I've been to Kauai once. Now my second book is taking place primarily on Kauai, but I think that's another thing in terms of like you know, and, and this is something that Rod had mentioned. He's like, I you know, I like the fact that you feel in history and backgrounds and and mm-hmm. and and I and that you know, yeah. I try to flesh out the the backstory so people understand why is this person the way they are or how did they get from point A to point B and that kind of thing. And in some sense, you know. You know, if I'm if I reference something in in that's Hawaiian based or whatever, I don't want to just leave the reader hanging. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't want them to have to stop in the middle of the book, put the book down, go over to Google, what the hell does this mean? You know, that kind of thing. And so it becomes trying to fill that in and 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 to kind of circle back to Rod's question. I've especially this year. I mean, I stopped mid year because I I felt like I was trying to do something for the wrong reasons. But um, I read. By the beginning of July, I read thirty. I read thirty-six books, something like mm-hmm. that, um, of varying degrees: oh, wow. fiction, nonfiction, self-help. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, autobiographies. I mean, just I, I kind of ran the gamut on things. Um, and I, I think the big thing is, is I can dig into different genres and not have a problem reading it 
if I like the way that it's written. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and case in point is this, this year I picked up a couple of classics, what are considered American classics. And I read them and I went, why the hell is this a classic? It's horrible. Why? I, I, I mean, I struggled to read it. I'm like, how do I, how did, I was like, um, you know, and, and I, God forbid there's any Jack Kerouac fans that are going to listen to this podcast, but I read, you know, Big Sur that was, somebody gave it to me as a gift and I read Big Sur and I was like, well, I can tear, I can tell Kerouac was alcoholic because this sounds like it was written by a person who was drunk the entire time they wrote it. It, I mean, you just, you struggled to get through the book and I was just like, wow. And I, and I got to the end and I, and I, and I, you know, I texted my buddy who gave it to me as a gift because is from when I left Monterey, we used to go to Big Sur. He's, he gifted me the book, Big Sur. Mm-hmm. So I went back to him. I'm like, did you read this? He's like, yeah. And I go, why the hell did you give it to me? I, I said, this book's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. And I'm like, but you know, and so that's the thing. I mean, and granted, I, it's a small book. It's short, but it's difficult to read. And there are a couple other books that I, you know, same type of thing. And um, and like I said, that's kind of takes me back to the point of, I felt like I was doing things for the wrong reason. I mean, I forced myself to complete things that I wouldn't normally have complete completed. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that I, I, t- I told my wife, I said, this book is suited for basically fire tinder. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, but if I can pick up science fiction, I can pick up horror. I can pick up, you know, if you, if you go back to the eighties, you know, I read Clive Barker and Stephen King and, you know, a lot of that type of stuff. I don't read that kind of stuff anymore. Um, but it's, it's just trying to, it's trying to find what comes across from the writer in, you know, am there, am I getting what the writer is trying to convey? Um, you know, and, and, and a a case in point is I picked up a couple other books this year that are hugely popular and I read them. I got to the end and people talk about that they're life changing and this, that, and the other. And I got to the end and I went, okay, what did I miss? Cause I got to the end <laughs> of the book and I went, um, yeah, I got yeah. to the end. And I was like, okay, it just felt yeah. like a story. And, and so yeah. either I was trying too hard to, you know, cause that's the thing too. Do you come into that book with expectations when you hear everybody else's, what they're saying about it or their reviews or whatever, or do you walk into it with an open mind and just clear your head and say, what is this book going to give me? Right. And, and, and so, yeah. yeah, you know, so the, it, it becomes a, it becomes a, if anything, the one thing I'm trying to do these days is take more reading in to help me become a better writer and to put words on the paper better. Um, and, 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 you know, digging into a a couple of the authors that I really like revisiting their writing style and go, okay, I see how they did this. I see how they conveyed language. I see how they, you know, moved scenes, you know, their descriptive nature, things like that. And, and, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's been really interesting in this learning phase that that's been the big thing. It's been a learning phase. It's, it's where word choice matters and not just from a redundancy standpoint or not just from a synonym or, or definition standpoint, but it, you know, tense and verbiage and, and I mean, just all these types of things. And, and, right. and when you go through and, and what are you capturing and, and, and how, you know, uh, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting process. So I, I, yeah. 
I haven't, I don't read a lot anymore right now because, like I said, I've been very busy. Hopefully, I can get past that and get back to reading. But I do, I have been doing a lot of the audio books because I can do that driving and I can do that at work. And you mentioned Clive Barker. I've recently listened to the Hellbound Heart and the Scarlet Gospels. And I also done uh, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells and the uh, the Portrait of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. I really liked The Portrait of Dorian Gray. It almost felt like I was stepping back in time to Victoria-era London to a certain degree. It was really well done. Um, the Invisible Man was choppy. It seemed mm-hmm. like it, Yep, I read it that just, this year. Yeah, it just it just it wasn't horrible, but it like this is supposed to be H.G. Wells, this great writer. I'm like, I wrote better stuff than this book. Now, <laughs> I, I and now on the flip side of that, David, I enjoyed because I bought I have uh what did I got I, I got the two stories in one book. I got the Time Machine and and the Invisible Man. Yeah. I enjoyed the Invisible Man. Time Machine felt disjoint i mean and granted i know it's a time it, it jumps time sequences and things like that but i read it and i was like yeah wow i, I actually enjoy the movies the, the book was right. just like i was like this is cool. really you know and it's interesting to go back and read some of the and granted you know yeah. to h you know hg wells he was writing in the 1800s i mean you know, late yeah late 1800s and and mm-hmm. and i understand it's a different style of writing and things like that but yeah it's it's those types of things and to your point it's funny that you had mentioned some of those because and when I read your stuff, it takes me and you guys know that I'm a classic film fan. Mm-hmm. I when I read your stuff, I go I, I think visually when I'm reading stuff. Yeah. I, I I relate it to film. And in your case, I I it takes me back to that like nineteen that mid nineteen thirties, late nineteen thirties, early nineteen forties era of universal monsters yeah. and that film noir era. And and that's what I, that's what I feel in the atmosphere of a lot of your books. And so that's probably another reason that I that I take the 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 tone you know that tonality really helps me enjoy you know the the reading aspect of your right. stories and so because it creates a familiarity right. for me from a visual environment standpoint i like i when i'm reading or listening to these books like i said hg wells just that invisible man i was expecting more of a descent into madness and there was uh, he was crazy from the get go. Even before he became invisible, he was basically already nuts. <laughs> he just, you know, I was waiting for that descent, you know, and it just never happened. It was like, okay, guy, just maybe it was my expectation on it, but it just I was waiting for it, and it never happened. Yeah. Um, with Clive Barker, the Hellbound Heart was good, and it was a short story, which is what basically it's basically the first movie, the Hellraiser movie. He changed a few things, and actually, I think the movie's better because what he the changes he made by making them all family basically instead of them being, you know, one girl, the girl Kirsty is actually in love with the guy who's married to Julia. Instead, yeah. that in the movie, it's her father. Yeah. So it makes it better. But then you go to the Scarlet Gospels, and honestly, I thought that was just basically that was almost trash. I did not like it at all. It yeah. was all over the place. He was doing like jump scare type things in there. Like if he learned from when he was making a movie or something and it's like it didn't work. He's having his character get beat up and killed over here by a more powerful character. Then two seconds later, he's popping up on a bridge in front of the other main characters of the story. <laughs> like, how did he get away? 
<laughs> He's literally uh, being killed by Lucifer. How did he get away? <laughs> yeah, and that and that's funny because you know, and this I think I'd mentioned this to Rod, but as I as I write this, and the funny thing is, I'll come up with an element that I want to put into the book, but then I'm like, okay. I have to make it one believable, but two, yeah. how is it connected? I can't just all of a sudden put this here just because I want it to the book. And I think it's a funny element or whatever the case may be, right. but, right. but I have to be able to successfully and believably get from point A to point B yeah. and, and, and make it work. I do that all yeah. the time with my stuff. I, I'll have an idea and I want to get to that idea so fast, but it's like, how do I get to that idea? I'm writing a story right now called, and the show goes on and I already know what the ending is. And I know what the beginning is. I'm just trying to connect the two. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got to make sense or don't work. And, and this yeah. is one. Th- and I think you know, Rod and I have talked about this. And I think, David, I think you had chimed in on the conversation as well. That's kind of where I went back. And I did it with this book. And I and I did it. I have a book on the back burner. What I probably call, I guess, my third or fourth book out there um, that already has all the story. The story is already fleshed out. The, I have mm-hmm. the character. I have his backstory. I have the other two main characters in the story. I have them fleshed out. I have the backstory and then plot pointing how the story overall comes together. And then each time I start a new chapter, I go, okay, what do I want to happen in this chapter? How do I make it work? What are the plot point elements? And then, and then, cause the other thing is once I have those plot point elements fleshed out, I can go, okay, I get here to here. Okay. I can get here to here and this will happen. This is how, and it becomes easier to fill in the pieces mm-hmm. once I have all that yeah. written out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, guys, uh, by casting of lots, we determined uh, the order for uh, the reading. Uh, the readings that we're going to do tonight. Let's just put it that way. And uh, uh, David cast the uh, the the uh, we'll just say the the best number, so he gets to go first. <laughs> All right. So we'll just pass it over to you and and, uh, and and let you do your part here. And then we'll come back in when you're ready for us to do some discussion. Okay. Uh, so I am going to be reading Chapter 3 of my story, Brother's Keeper, which is also the title of this book. It will be a collection of short stories, which is what I'm pretty much known for at this point. <laughs> and this, one is, this book is a collection of families uh, family horror family betrayal type situation you guys have got the opportunity to read quite a few of these stories that are in this book so you understand you know but it this one is i got the idea from another friend of ours on twitter and she has nephews that are they're two twins and just like my one of them is autistic, just like my son, who is autistic, which is the, one of the characters in this book or in this story. Sorry, he's autistic and he's based highly off of my own son. So it's kind of hard to write this one in a little bit <laughs> because of that. But yeah, we're going to set it up here. So basically, you have two twin brothers. They are both inheriting a large amount fortune when, when they grow older their parents died when they were younger they have a guardian who is also a uh, educator of for the autistic son she was hired by the parents to take care of the autistic son and help educate him as he grow, grows older 
This was before they died. So this takes place shortly after the parents died. Well, a few years after the parents died to be actual. But it is actually a flashback in the story, as we talked earlier about that. So here we go. Chapter 3, Section 1. She awoke to the sound of giggling. She looked at the clock. It read 6.02 a.m. He better not be out of his bed or there will be hell to pay, she thought. She took over guardianship of the twins by 11 years ago, not long after the accident that left them orphans. The twins would inherit a fortune when they come of age. Until then, they had trust set up for their caretaking, and as guarding, she had some, albeit limited, access to their trust. Last she knew, they were valued at nearly a billion dollars. Not bad for a couple brats, she thought. She was still young, only 34. She had been with the family since she was 21. She received a full-time position here right after college. Shortly before, Thomas started showing signs of what would become his eventual diagnosis of autism. However, his twin brother, Theodore, was learning at the rate of someone with a genius-level IQ. She had studied autism in school and understood the need one with autism required. A A rigid routine was first on the list. Immediately after she was hired, she had made the decision that both boys would have the same routine. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, she thought. When she first met met Mr. and Mrs. Travis, she was taken back by their beauty. Like herself, Mrs. Travers was slim and tall with long blonde curly hair, and Mr. Travers was even taller, broad-shouldered with dark dark hair and blue eyes. Vivian Black had always been ambitious, and shortly after she got the job, she wondered if she could seduce one, if not both, and worm, worm her way into a fortune of her own. As she did her job, she always smiled and showed kindness. After two years, there was no hope of her plan ever working out. But then the accident happened, and she was left to take care of the kids. In a way, she had gotten what she wanted, but not all that she wanted. She still had two kids to look after, and now she was expected to be more than a nanny. She was expected to be a parent. She never wanted kids herself and only ever wanted to be around them sparingly as she could. She had a plan, and now it was gone. She had begun to lash out at the children. She set strict rules with harsh punishments, like not getting out of bed before 7 a.m. The Gilberts noticed her change in behavior and were watching her closely. They had called children's services on her multiple times and had had the family and had the family hired her, she likely would have been fired. But since she was an employee of the company, the board had no desire to try and find a replacement. So she stayed on and was granted full guardianship of the twins after a while. She knew one day the Gilberts would have to be dealt with, but until that time came, she avoided them at all costs. She even refused to eat the foods Mrs. Gilbert made in case it was poisoned. She got out of bed and threw her house coat on. Theodore lay there. He picked up his head and asked her where she was going. Your brother is awake and it's not even seven yet. I'm going to check to see if he's out of bed. It's not that early. Just let him be. Come back to bed, he said, as he removed the covers to show his naked body. She looked him up and down. At only 15 years old, he had filled out well. He had broad shoulders, dark hair, and blue eyes, just like his father. Both boys were. Sometimes she was amazed at how much they still looked alike. When I get back, I may just take you up on that. But for now, rules are rules, she said. Vivian Black had begun sleeping with Theodore just before he turned four, just before he turned 15. She had a new plan. Once he turned 18, they would marry and hire some new, someone new to care for Thomas. She knew she would never be able to separate the two truly, but she could keep one for herself. And once she did become the lady of the house, the Gilberts would be replaced. She left the room and began walking down the hall towards Thomas's room. 
She recalled how old man Frederick Gilbert had confronted her, believing she was molesting Theodore and Thomas. This conversation took place before she had started to sleep with Theodore. It was from this conversation that inspired her new plan to seduce and marry Theodore. Afterward, Vivian Black, Vivian Black began to watch Theodore. She watched how Theodore had grown big and strong, but how both he and Thomas had grown up strong. Theodore had made the point to work out with Thomas so he wouldn't become unhealthy due to his diet. It wasn't until she caught Theodore masturbating one evening that she made her move to na from nanny and mother figure to lover. She'd opened the door slightly and watched him. Then she slipped in, shut, and locked the door behind her. He jumped and tried to cover himself, and she could tell he was ashamed. She quieted him and crossed the room slowly, reassuring him that it was natural. As she crossed the room, she began to undress and was almost naked except for her bra and panties when she got to his bed. She threw off his covers and picked up where, he had, where she had interrupted him. After that, he would spend almost every night in her room. They were careful, however. Theodore was always supposed to leave her room by 7 and be back in his room. He was never supposed to come to her room till after 10 p.m. It was their routine. Vivian Black entered Thomas's room and found him sitting on the floor in his underwear. He was playing with some marbles and laid them out in a pattern. Thomas, she yelled. What is all this? Thomas quickly looked up at her and said, uh-oh, am I grounded? He asked. What are you doing with those marbles? She asked sternly. It's the solar system, Thomas replied, looking down at them. Are you allowed to play with Tom with marbles, Thomas? She asked, growing angrier by the moment. No, Thomas said. Am I grounded? He asked again and began crying. She had banned marbles from the house when the twins were six years old after she caught Thomas putting one in his mouth. Pick them up, she yelled. No, Thomas said. No cleanup. It's not time for cleanup. I hate cleanup. She quickly and sharply smacked him across the face and he began to cry harder. She tried to grab his arm as she tried to grab his arm as she did when he was still a child, tried to force him down to pick them up, but she couldn't move anymore. He had gotten too big and strong for her to manhandle. Are you evil? Thomas asked, crying. You're goddamn right I am now. Pick them up, she yelled. No, Thomas yelled back. Vivian bent over and grabbed the little leather pouch she saw lying on the floor near the marble diorama of the solar system and began to collect the marbles in the bag. Once they were all collected, she closed the bag and looked at Thomas, who was still crying and telling her to stop. She raised the bag and began to beat Thomas with the bag of marbles. She hit him in the arms and shoulder. Thomas bent over and began to cover his head. He was crying even louder now. She kept swinging the bag, hitting him harder and harder with every swing until she was hitting him as hard as she could. When I tell you to do something, you better start listening, she screamed as she swung the bag. Bruises had begun to appearing on the boy's back, and she kept swinging the leather bag full of glass marbles. Theodore had gotten out of bed and dressed. He could hear her yelling at his brother. She was growing angrier, and he knew it. This was not going to be good for either of them. Thomas had grown strong, maybe even stronger than he had. Theodore ran down the hall to his brother's room. When he got there, he saw his brother lying on the floor. He watched as Vivian Black swung the leather bag and hit him with it. Theodore recognized the bag. It was the bag of marbles he had bought at the store the other day and given to his brother as a gift. He knew about the new marble rule, but that was back when they were both kids. Surely the rule didn't exist, he thought, when he bought them. He got them because of a few reminded him of plants, and he knew how much Thomas loved them. Stop, it hurts, Thomas cried. Why are you hitting me? Stop, Theodore yelled. Vivian, what are you doing? Why? Stop it, you're hurting him. He broke the rules, she screamed. Where did you get them, she asked, and began to hit him again. Stop it, Theodore yelled as he grabbed her and threw her to the ground out of Thomas's room. I got them for him. You? She said, standing back up. Theodore had bent over to check on his brother. He wasn't moving much. His back had begun to blacken. Theodore began to feel the level of anger he had never known before. 
You gave them to him. You broke the rules. She stepped inside and swung a leather bag at Theodore and hit him in the back of the neck. He fell next to his brother and looked up at her. She raised the bag to strike him again, but he caught her mid-swing, holding her wrist. He stood up. He had grown taller than her now. She looked into his eyes and saw something new. Gone was the look of fear, passion, or love she had come to know with him. In their place was hatred, pure, raw rage. She knew she began to struggle to free her from free herself from his grip. He balled his hand into a fist and hit her as hard as he could in her beautiful face. When Vivian Black was six years old, she was playing outside, playing hide and seek with a few others, a few of her cousins. She had hidden in the bushes surrounding the front of the house. When her one cousin, the one that it was one, the one that was it, had spotted her, she stood up and began to run. She quickly turned and ran right into a wooden limb bush. The limb from that bush had poked her in the eye and penetrated her. When she pulled away from the bush, reacting to the pain, her eye'd stay there. After after that, she would have a glass eye. The glass eye would have made it look exactly like the eye she had lost. The fake eye was so well made that you would never know it was fake unless you knew how to spot it. As she fell to the ground, her face exploded in pain, the likes of which she had never felt. Her lip began to bleed and swell almost instantly, as did the side of her face where he struck her. She didn't lose consciousness because she could hear the glass bouncing along the room's hardwood floor. At first, she thought a marble must have escaped the bag, but then she knew what it was. She knew because she, yeah, she knew because when she opened her eye, her good eye, it was staring back at her. The glass eye had fallen out and was staring at her almost like it was saying, "Ha, that's what you get." Ew, she heard Thomas saying disgust. She saw him pick it up. Don't touch it. Leave it alone, you fuck. She screamed at him. She tried to grab it from him, and when he fat failed, she punched him square in his testicles. He dropped his knees, grabbing himself. She tried again to open his fist and take the back her glass eye. He pushed her back again. He picked up the leather bag containing the marbles. You want your fake glass eye back? Fine, he said. His voice was no longer angry and had grown cold, which scared even more now. He stood up, dropped the glass eye into the bag, and began to root around until he pulled a large, clear marble, glass marble with a wavy blue streak running through the middle, a cat's eye. He walked over to her. No, 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 she said. Trying to back away from him, he grabbed her by the neck. And without any emotion or hesitation, he lifted her head. She tried to scratch him and fight him off, but she knew he was beyond her now. He was in a place where he didn't truly see her, let alone feel her. She screamed and pushed, and she screamed as he pushed a glass marble into her empty socket, into her empty eye socket. The blood began to pour down her face and over his hand. He smiled as he put both hands around her neck and squeezed until she quit moving. He stood over the corpse of the woman he had just been lying next to in bed, the woman who had, whose bed he had been sharing for over six months, the woman he had just had sex with no more than eight hours ago. He stood there and smiled down at her. He felt good. No, he felt great. He had never felt so strong and powerful. He had never been more turned on in his life, not even the first night they had spent together. was as good as what he was feeling now as he stared at the bloody, lifeless body beneath him. He began to remember where he was, and he quickly turned to see his brother lying in the fetal position. His eyes were open. Theodore knew that Thomas had seen everything, that he had watched him kill their guardian, their nanny, the woman who had raised them and had beaten them when they broke the rules and when they broke the routine. They both heard a door open and close somewhere downstairs. Mr. and Mrs. Gilbert, Theodore caught. Thomas, are you all right? Theodore asked his brother, going to him, kneeling by him. Thomas, speak to me. Are you evil? Thomas asked. No, of course not, Thomas, Theodore said. It's over. Mrs. Black isn't even evil anymore either. Is she dead? Thomas asked. Yes, I believe so, Theodore said. 
Whew, that was a close one, Thomas said. When it was, it was then that Theodore knew that Thomas would be fine. That his brother didn't truly understand what happened or what death was. But now he had to clean up the mess he had made. The marble was stupid, as was strangling her. The police would know, and everyone would know, he would go to jail, and Thomas would be sent to a home or a hospital that dealt with adult people with mental challenges. He couldn't, wouldn't allow that. But how to make it look like an accident? He took the marble out of her eye and put the glass eye back in and pushed it till the blood began to ooze out again. He then broke her neck by spinning her head around, grabbed the bag of marbles, and lifted the dead woman. Theodore then carried her to the top of the stairs, stood her sideways as she was heading toward Thomas's room, and flung her down the long wooden stairs. Long wooden stairs. He then quickly scattered the marbles along the top of the stairs, making sure some fell down the stairs as well. Quickly, he darted down the hall before anyone showed up to see what the commotion was all about. And that's it. <laughs> For now. Yeah. Um, don't take this wrong, David, but you really brought that to life. Okay. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> I just had to say that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, for me, um, I... I uh, I mean, the, the description is very, is, is very good. Um, you describe everything that's going on very well in that. And, and not, that, not that we're here to, to, you know, to critique each other's writing or anything. But, I mean, um, he- hearing somebody, you know, hearing somebody read is different from reading it yourself. And, yeah. and just listening to the story, I mean, it's, it's really easy to get into it, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, that's probably the first time I've ever read it out loud. I've even I, as John stated before, reading it out loud, I kind of noticed a few things that didn't seem to flow as well as I would like. So I'll probably where John go. I'm here. <laughs> he's still there. He's surfing. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's surfing. surfing. But but it's so probably when I go back over it again, like I said, it's not even probably halfway finished yet. So when I go. When I do finally finish the story and go back over, I'm definitely going to have to do the reading out loud to kind of get a sense of the flow a little bit better. Maybe a few lines here and there will get changed. Yeah, I mean, you you really get a feel for the for the emotions that everybody's feeling. Yeah, I think you described those very well. And um, um, I, I keep wanting to say bring them to life, but, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, they're very evident. Um you know, you do you just do a great de- job of describing describing those. And I mean, that's just part of the um, the character development mm-hmm. and um, and and part of the scene. But um, you know, the shifting of the emotions throughout the the part that you read, um, right? It, it really it really comes off well. Well, I've read a, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, so I think that kind of helps me with kind of changing my voice when I'm reading different characters and trying to capture their emotion so a little bit of experience i guess i don't know yeah well i was talking about just uh just the just the way you wrote it too not just the way you read it you know yeah uh, one of the things that i liked and i don't know i don't and i don't know if you did this intentionally (laughs) well i i I shouldn't say i know you did part of it intentionally but there's other I, i my brain started going okay i see a connection here but the the whole thing with with the marbles and then as soon as the eye thing came you know came mm-hmm. up and then i was like okay i know where this is going 
But then, you know, the way you, the, you went through the descriptive aspect of it, I was like, okay, this, this, I like the way this works, this works. And then I really loved it. You went with a cat's eye marble. It's like, okay, yeah. nice. And, and I thought that that, cause I, I thought that was just, I mean, and, and in some sense it almost kind of felt symbolic in some aspects, but cause here, and here's where I'm going with that. Cause you know, what are cats known for nine lives? And yet mm-hmm. here in this case, here's a person that you used a cat's eye marble on a person who is no longer alive. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so there was just all these things going on, you know, as I was listening and I thought, okay, this, this has, um, a unique, um, a unique energy for lack of a better term there. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting how the, how the, how that sequence came together and where you went with it and then how you reversed it. Cause you're like, okay, now I got, you know, cause then he is like, okay, I have to think through this. This isn't good. I need to undo this yeah. and how he backtracked. And so I, mm-hmm. which, which, and I, I was sitting there as, <clears throat> excuse me guys, as I was sitting there as you're, you're talking, as you're reading through that sequence and I, and I'm sitting there trying to think of, okay, when have I ever seen either or read in a book or seen in a movie where a person did something only to basically undo it. And so now there is a different, you know, yes, you do yeah. have people, they try to cover their crime, so to speak, but then he went in reverse and, and like, okay, I have to undo this. I have to undo this. And I thought that was a, un- I thought that was a unique aspect. I'm still trying to sit here and think of if I've ever seen anybody, you know, yeah. do that in a movie or read about that in a book in, in terms of a character action in terms of that. But I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was pretty unique. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Yeah, the whole, Oh shit. <laughs> moment. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the light bulb so came on. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Oops. <laughs> How do I fix this? Well, I, as you read the story, when when it's completed, you find out that the cat's eye thing, he does that. That becomes part of his ritual. Ah, nice. So okay. that's where calling, it started. Kind of like his calling card. Kind of like his, his calling sig- card. Yeah. His signature gotcha. move. Yeah. And so he. But he. In this case, though. Or like with in, in the in the with the rest of them that he will eventually do later on, he leaves the marble in the eye. He gives that the women he's killing a glass eye. Mm. So interesting. Because in a sense, he's killing her over and over and over again in his own mind. Even though he knows they're different people, they they all look the same. They're his type. And, and it's funny too because it it, it, it from brief moment i circled back to stephen king because then he, he has a story called cat's eye and that's what yes. maybe, yeah yeah so i don't really remember what that story is about it's been a very long either. time I, and i i, I never <laughs> read it i saw the movie <laughs> yeah. i've done both but it's been a long time so that seems the basis for uh for what happened that's a pretty uh pretty major scene uh, for, for yes. what happens in the rest of the story well, yeah, that is this. That is the setup scene that basically yeah. starts him on his path to being a serial killer. Interesting. Okay. Well, nice job. Well, thank nice you. job. Um, I uh, I cast the next next best or or the middle lot. So uh, so I'm I'm going to uh, do do a little. Uh, presenting myself now um this is from from the uh the work that i've been doing um on uh, what will one day be be a book <laughs> it is right now a, a work in progress um calling this this book the activist and i really see this as uh as uh 
probably the first book in in a series but as with any author we'll we'll see how the first one goes um you know and if i get back to the second one kind of like uh where john is although i haven't started the second one because i haven't made it through the first one yet but I, i'm getting there um but Ron, I, where, where are you at for uh with, with your work i mean i know we kind of weren't really paying too much attention but i know you were I'm, feeling I'm good at, about progress and... i'm just over i'm just over 55 nice now. nice so and I've got about um, three, I think, three main scenes left to do. And then I'm going to go back to the beginning and start going through and, and seeing. That, that, that'll, yeah, as you do that, and as, yeah, even though I went back and added five chapters in mine, you know, and, and then, you know, my chapters tend to maybe be, I don't know, it depends. They vary in length, but, um, you know, it'll add anywhere from, you know, two, three thousand words. But, you know, once that, once I came back and, I had what I would call like a finishing number of about 63,000 ish, mm-hmm. or I mean, uh, excuse me, 73,000 yeah. through this editing process and proofreading process. I've added about another 1500 words, you know, th- of, of, as I've reworded sentences or, or, you know, gave something a little bit more clarity or whatever. And so, yeah, so you'll, you'll definitely pull, you know, you'll definitely bring in more word usage as, as, as you, as you wrap up. Yeah. And, and I know that there are parts in this that are are very stripped down. Um, And so I'm not going to try to add words just to make it longer. Right. But I know that there are spots where I, um, where I didn't develop things properly, um, where I was just getting through it. Um, so, I, but the first thing I need to do is go back through, and once I've written it all, I'll go back through and kind of read it to make sure it all matches up and makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and then I'll kind of look at where the holes are and try to patch those holes. And then I'll, then I'll start that glorious editing process that I'm <laughs> looking so forward to. My condolences. <laughs> I got to do all of my stories yet, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. So this is essentially the way the way I'm hoping this comes together is this is the first book and, you know, and and what might grow into a series. And and, um, the the idea is this is a story of a girl who who uh, grows up to be uh, um, she she becomes a a a poet on on TikTok that people recognize and she turns that into becoming a a public speaker and um, things kind of grow from there. Um, but there, there's a lot more to the story. And um, what I'm going to read tonight is really just uh, near the very beginning of the book. And, and um, a lot of this may change when I go back through. Um, I haven't <laughs> done a lot of editing on this, so, so bear with me. And John, to your point, I, I read through this about uh, two hours ago and I found three things I needed to change in it just before <laughs> I could read it tonight. So, <laughs> so I may find more as I'm reading, but, uh, but this just kind of gives the, gives the backstory on, on the family and, and, uh, and that, and this is going to be a lot different from what, uh, David just read. So oh, we can so. make it some more like mine. If you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it'll be a lot different from what John reads too, but, uh, but um, this, this is this is from the activist. It's about it's coming in on, on about the third or fourth paragraph in the book. Um, Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Ty announced as he strolled in the door of Jones Ford Lincoln Mercury, 
A chorus of responses diluted any one voice. Ty continued to walk until he got to a small metal desk and a cubicle in the back. He pulled out a small padded office chair and settled his slender but muscular frame into the seat. He set his lunch down and crossed the date off the calendar laying on his desk. The desk wasn't much to look at. There was just enough room for for the two folding chairs on the other side. A picture of his wife and kids stood on the side of the desk up against the cubicle wall. The picture reminded Ty of why he was selling cars and reminded his buyers of whom they were helping to support when they bought a car. It didn't seem like much. However, that little desk was the vehicle for Ty to support his family. Supporting his family had been a challenge over the last few years, but it was one that Ty had met with ferocity and tenacity. Ty, got a minute? Asked Ron Jones, the owner of the dealership, who seemed to appear out of nowhere. Sure, Mr. Jones, Ty uh, replied Ty enthusiastically. Come on, Ty, how long have you been here? You know you can call me Ron. He chuckled as he adjusted his tie to perfect his impeccable attire. Oh, I sure will, sir, replied Ty as Ron rolled his eyes at the unnecessary sir that had been added. Ron sat down across from Ty and continued. Ty, we're going to name you Salesman of the Month for September. You had a great month, and we don't only go by sales numbers. Your spirit and competitiveness have been contagious around here. Well, thanks, Ron. I wasn't expecting this. I I just tried to do my best. I didn't even realize I came off as competitive. Ty was surprised by these revelations. Just keep it up, Ty. We're glad you're on board. I love the suit, too. Thank you, sir, said Ty, not catching himself. Oh, you get the parking spot uh, starting tomorrow, and there will be an extra $500 in your next paycheck, Ron said, as he got up and started to walk away. Ty sat speechless as Ron walked away and disappeared into his corner office. He could hear the door close as he began to review his appointment book. He was extremely confident when he made the move to Ron Jones' dealership eight months before. His first month was a bust, yet he remained undeterred. He was fourth at the dealership in his second month and hadn't been lower than third since. The fit was great for Ty. He liked the cars and the people. Back at the bungalow, Ty's wife, Helen, remained in the kitchen cleaning up their breakfast dishes. She worked with efficiency and grace, gliding around the room with unnatural ease. Her grace was the first thing Ty noticed about her when they met. She was still trying to get used to the idea of staying staying at home, even after four years. She felt out of place at times. She also knew the decision for her to stay home was a good one. She and Ty had discussed it, and they agreed they wanted to raise their children themselves. They didn't want their kids growing up in daycare or staying with the sitter all the time. It all made perfect sense. Helen knew the reasons. She agreed with the decision and respected her husband's thoughts. But she still felt as if, as if she had surrendered something that was a big part of her. She was thriving in the corporate world when they made the decision. She felt fortunate that Ty's job paid enough for her to stay home. She had all these feelings, yet she still woke up many mornings wishing that she was the one running off to work each day. Helen shouldn't be con- Helen, I'm sorry. Helen wouldn't be confused with a movie star, but she had a smile that could light up a room. 
She walked out of the kitchen just in time to see her daughter walk out of her bedroom and turn toward her so they could meet in the living room. Good morning. How are you, Ronnie? Said Helen to her four-year-old daughter. Ronnie was short for Ronell, which was her middle name. Willow Ronell Reese was named after her grandmother, and the Willow part just never quite fit her. Fine, Mommy, replied the little girl, still holding her favorite doll in her left hand. Are you hungry? Do you want some Cheerios? Asked Helen with a big smile. I want Cheerios, Mommy, said little Ronnie Reese in a louder voice. Helen walked into the kitchen as her daughter followed closely behind. Once her mom put her cereal in a bowl and poured a glass of milk, Ronnie jumped in her chair and began to eat. Helen sat down across from her and waited as she began to eat. What do you want to do today? Helen asked Ronnie. I want to read, Mommy, said Ronnie quickly. Oh, Ronnie, we'll, we'll, read, uh, we'll read if we have time today. We have to take your brother to his doctor's appointment. But, Mommy, we never get to read. Ronnie was on the verge of tears. We'll try, but we have to take Frankie, and I have other stuff to do today, too. Helen tried to offer some sort of reassurance. Okay, Mommy, Ronnie said with her voice uh, that had lost. Ronnie said with a voice that had lost all enthusiasm. Their conversation came to an end as a rustling sound traveled from the hallway. A moment later, Ronnie's twin brother, Frankie, walked into the room carrying a blue blanket in his right arm. Well, hi, Frankie. How's my boy this morning? Helen said as she made her way to the living room. Fine, Mommy, answered Franklin Reese as he climbed onto his mom's lap on the sofa. Did you sleep good? Yes, I slept good, Mommy. In the kitchen, Ronnie sat quietly eating her breakfast. She watched her mom and brother, but they didn't notice. And that's it. I'm not as polished as David is at reading, apparently. <laughs> I, think you, I, think you, I think you guys were muted, too. I was. I, I, I was, too. I was making yeah, some popcorn. Okay. Probably hear it in the background now. <laughs> I should have practiced reading no, it out. Thought, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say that. So far, it's coming along. I think it's coming along really well. Um, your character development is, is got well from the first draft that you shared with us. I don't know how long ago that was. Long time. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's grown. Um, so the characters are really starting to grow and flesh out a little bit more, seems like to me. I've made some major changes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I added the brother. The brother was not yeah. here. That's, why I, was going to say, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. That's a I, major change. I, I think one of the things that I thought has, be, has been interesting, and I, and and I don't know if you've kind of discovered this, Rod, is as you start as you're writing different characters, um, you know, a good example, you've got in this little sequence here, you've got a husband, a wife and two kids and, and they're all going to come from a different place. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so it's trying to convey that through language. Um, you know, it's trying to, you know, energy levels are different. Um, you know, education levels may be different. So word choices are different. I mean, and so it, it, it's trying to, you know, and that's one of the things that I've kind of discovered in this whole thing of, as I've 
you know, you know, as I'm writing these characters, I'm like, how can I make them distinctive? And, and, and so that, that becomes the challenge. And I can, I can hear that. Um, it's kind of, it's, it, in that once in that one block that you just read, I can hear, um, the differences in the characters yet. The one thing I like is that they all carry a very similar unique, or I, I guess I should say a similar energy that is unique to the family since it's a, since it's a family they all carry that same type of energy and i think that comes across in 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 the you know the dialogue and the dynamic so i, I thought i think that i think that creates um it helps build the the picture of 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 how that family exists yeah yeah and that that's something that um that's something that when I go back through, I need to look at is, is having it be a family, but also having the characters be unique because that's, that's through, you know, through writing this, that's something that I'm not sure that I've portrayed the characters properly, you know, with my first draft by the time I have this done. So I might need to tweak the characters when I go back through and, and, uh, you know, make my changes. that is something that I, I've noticed even with my characters is when you read my characters, you can definitely tell each character is unique. But at the same time, when I'm writing them, sometimes I'll start using the same vocabulary and I have to stop yeah. myself and go change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with families, though, they can use some of the same vocabulary because they're going to be just like you and your wife. Sometimes you'll. When you guys first started dating, she'll have a little phrase that she says, or you'll have a little phrase. Then all of a sudden, two or three years later, you guys are saying each other's phrases. They kind of right. You know? You're right. That so, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, let let's move on to uh, to the guy who cast the uh, the final lot. Number ninety six. <laughs> yeah, number ninety six out of a hundred. So uh, so John Brown. Uh, we're gonna. We're going to give you the floor and let you read from uh, from your your work that's um, a lot closer to complete than mine is. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, okay, back backstory. Uh, this is um, this is from a novel called Broken Boards, um, and I th- you know once a person reads it, they'll understand the symbolism of that. Um, but it takes place in Hawaii on the island of Oahu. Um, there's the two the, the two main characters are kind of like one A and one B um, because they're through most of the novel together, um, and they drive a lot of the action um, either through behavior or dialogue. Um, trying to f- pick out something to read was a little difficult because my book is very heavily dialogue driven. And I remember Rod, you said you moved through it pretty easily. And I think dialogue books do that. Uh, it makes it easier, <laughs> excuse me. It makes it easier to kind of read through in a, with a quicker flow. Um, the, the, the backstory of the, the overall novel is Jake Jansen is an early twenties college kid. He's, is he's in his senior year at the university of Hawaii. He's a college football player, successful on the football field, great in the classroom kind of followed in his father's footsteps uh his father is a retired um you know decorated naval investigator um 20 plus years in the navy 
um, and now works as private, you know, federal counsel doing kind of like NCIS type of stuff as a federal employee. Also helps with, you know, Honolulu police doing a lot of different things. They, they lean on his experience and wisdom and Jake had kind of followed <clears throat> in his father's footsteps. But where we, where we, where the novel picks up at the very beginning is, um, Jake and his father, Jack, uh, they're in the middle of a fractured relationship. Um, they're both grieving the loss of Jack's wife, Jake's mother, Anne. Um, she'd passed away 18 years or 18 months ago. And, and there has been some difficulties that came out of that. And Jake is bitter. He's angry, um, frustrated, and he hasn't come to grips with a lot of things. Um, what happens in the sequence is you eventually find that something takes place of, that is of great traumatic experience, very similar, so to speak. And Jake is kind of forced to lean on his father and he's kind of forced to repair that relationship, so to speak, or at least try to see if they can find their way back. But what happens is, is Jake and his father work together in, um, in going through this process and, and, and the, and what happens is we eventually catch up later in the book um, as, as we watch their behaviors and their relationship evolve, we get towards the end of the book. And as we try to come to a close, uh, this sequence is not, <laughs> not the end of the book, but it's pretty close to the end of the book. And this is just uh, an excerpt from chapter 24. Um, the chapter is called The Pier. And that's solely based on the fact that that's the location of where everything takes place in this instance. Um, again, I pulled out just a piece. Uh, I, I was really, I really struggled with trying to come up with what I wanted to read because I was like, okay, I don't want to give things away. I don't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to read, you know, some of the chapters. I was like, if I only read a portion of the chapter, I don't think it'll work. Um, so it was, it was, it took me a while and finally I kind of just settled on this. I pulled this clip out because I don't think there's a lot of dialogue, but I think there's enough dialogue to help move things around or uh, to move things along. I think there's enough action and, 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 to, and what takes place in this sequence to, to, uh, to make it, um, kind of work for, for what we were doing tonight. <clears throat> so, and I'll apologize at the very beginning because I have two two characters here that are very similarly named, um, but the father and son, Jack and Jake, <laughs> Jack is the father and Jake is, uh, Jake is his son. So, um, <clears throat> and what happens here is we catch up with them, uh, at the end of the, uh, it's late at night, uh, out in, uh, out at the Honolulu pier <clears throat> and they, uh, are trying to close down the final sequences of, of, uh, you know, this entire ordeal that they've been dealing with through the novel. So <clears throat> here we go. Jake scrambled along the dividers until he was near the shipping containers. He needed to get to the man who had his dad and fast. He moved forward, looking down the darkened dials. He came to a space between two containers that would allow him to get closer and move through unseen. He quickly slid between them, trying to be as quiet as possible. Jake's heart was racing so fast that the pounding made him think that the others would hear him approaching. His heart ached like fire. I can do this. I have to do this, he thought to himself. He glanced around and saw nothing that could be used as a weapon. 
Good time to have a gun or a knife or whatever else Dad wouldn't let me bring, he thought. Jake started to move forward when his knee made solid contact with the container wall, creating a loud, deep, reverberating sound that echoed through the connecting units. Jake ducked quickly back into the shadows as Jose looked back over his shoulder for a moment. Jake crouched as lowly as possible, gritting his teeth and covering his mouth to not outlet any, any sounds of pain. Jose saw nothing, turned back around, and continued to push Jack across the parking lot at knife point. This won't take long, friend, yes? We will finish our business and leave. Just need to decide what to do with you, yes, Jose said. You know I'm not the only one here, right? Jack asked. You must think I'm foolish to come alone. It's only a matter of time before the rest of the police arrive. We've paid very well to have your police ignore our business, yes? Jose said confidently. We're very aware of your bribes and your other dealings. An army of law enforcement will be arriving, Jack said before adding, friend, with snide condescension. One that will be arresting all the people who have turned a blind eye to your dealings. Jack and Jose continued to make their way across the parking lot. Just ahead in the distance, Lance Hamilton and Rodrigo stood preparing to make the final exchange. Jake decided he couldn't wait any longer. He had to take the risk or regret being too late. He slipped between the containers out into the moonlight. Running across the lot, Jake stayed low but moved quickly. Thank goodness for football drills, he thought. He got within striking distance and then warned his dad. Dad, move! Simultaneously, Jack dove to the ground just as Jose turned around to see Jake coming in fast. Jake covered the final few yards with reckless abandon and no concern for his safety, opened his arms wide and put his shoulder right into Jose's chest, taking him to the pavement. Rodrigo and Lance scrambled to take cover as Lance pulled out a small handgun. Jack, lying on the ground, looked back to see Jake punch Jose squarely in the face. He was asleep with one punch. Jake hesitated and looked at Jose before punching him once more. That's for Rabbit, he said, delivering the punch to the face. And that's for my dad. Jake rolled over, holding his chest, breathing hard. Jack crawled up to him. Nice tackle for a receiver, Jack said with a smile. Jake laughed. We do have one problem, though. Jake glanced his dad out of breath, waiting for an answer. Jack smiled sheepishly. They have guns, don't they? Jake asked through his ragged breathing. At least one. I saw him pull it. I think it's Hamilton. Well, I have some good news, Jake said, continuing to catch his breath. I called the cavalry. Jack reached into his pocket, pulled out the zip ties. I brought these just in case, he said, and handed them to Jake. Why don't you put him to good use? Jake took the zip ties, rolled Jose onto his chest, pulled his arms back, and secured his wrist. Jack looked down at Jose's feet and shrugged. Eh, why the hell not? Jake said he reached down and zip-tied his feet. You know, he doesn't look very secure, Jake said as he pulled Jose's feet up towards his hands and zip-tied them together. Jake smiled proudly at his work before looking at his dad to find him shaking his head. What? You don't want him to get away, do you? Jack laughed. Jake caught something out of the corner of his eye and glanced up soon enough to see Rodrigo run to the far side of the lot near the helicopter. They're going to try to fly out of here, Jake said, pointing to the helicopter. I don't see a pilot. Maybe that's him, Jack said, nodding at Jose, lying unconscious. Jack took his hand to his mouth, imitating the voice coming through the speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. Unfortunately, your flight has been canceled and there will be no refund. <laughs> oh, sure. Now you have jo jokes, 
Jake said as he moved to his knees. Any sign of the guy with the gun? Jack shook his head no. Jake pulled out his phone and checked the time. It was 11.15 p.m. And that is it. I think uh, I think that little segment does does a good job of um, showing who the showing who your characters are. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, there's a lot more to them, obviously. But yeah, having read at least the, the first draft of the book, and I haven't yeah. read all the other chapters that, that you've added, but um, but yeah, I think it, uh, it gives a flavor for your characters. <laughs> Makes you want to read more. Or hear more. You know, it's funny yeah. that you say that, Dave, because, you know, the wife and I were talking about that just the other day, and she made a really interesting comment. And I thought, wow, that's kind of, it's kind of a powerful statement. But at the same point in time, I'm like, I can't relate to that in that sense. She said, she goes, you should be able to pick, pick up a book and read any paragraph in that book, and it should make you want to read the rest of the book. That is the hope, yes. Mm. And, and I thought, wow. And and because, and I mean, because there are books that I've, you know, that I love. Um, and, and, I, and I'd have to go, you know, I'd have to, you know, like maybe try that and pick that up and say, okay, read this paragraph, just a random paragraph and go, okay, would this make me read the rest of the book? Um, but I, I think, like I said, it was kind of difficult in this sense of trying to, I was like, okay, how do I avoid giving away the story? How do I you know, where do I go with trying to read and, you know, kind of an excerpt out of, you know, for, for this type of book. And I think the other thing is too, is Rod, to your point, my characters change. There's an evolution um, of their character arc throughout this book because of where Mm. they are at the beginning and where they are at the end. There's that growth process, um, you know, so to speak, there's a healing process. Like at the beginning, there's the icy cold, a little bit anger, a little bit bitter, a little bit of resentment and you get to the end and there's there's a little bit more of a lightheartedness there's a playfulness in in you know in this yeah. interaction between yeah. father and son um you know and, and like at the you know in this little sequence here where you know jack makes a joke well that's kind of a little bit out of character for him and jake even says oh well, now wow now you make jokes and the whole thing was throughout the entire book jake kept joking about stuff and his dad would be like hey this isn't the time for jokes be serious you know, so so they so this mm-hmm. whole through this whole process, and all of a sudden we've got this little character reversal thing right there at the end. Um, uh, to, you know, to to show that there's been some growth in in um, you know in in their development. And I, the one thing I, I I was like I was tempted to read. I told I told Steph I went through and I counted. I think I've got five. I think I've got five, maybe six emotional sequences in this book. Um, but I was like, man, if I read those, it might make me cry. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to read these on the podcast and, you know, start crying. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little bit of backstory there too, for anybody that, you know, that doesn't know or whatever, you know, even if, even if a person picks up this book and, and doesn't know my backstory, this, the main character is a, is a lot of me. And a lot of the, the dad is a lot of my real dad. We, you know, my mom died when I was a kid and, and, you know, but I was 13, I wasn't in my twenties. Um, but, but there was, there was a lot of, you know, kind of resentment and there's, you know, we were, we kind of had a bit of a fractured relationship, so to speak. And and it was, you know, growing through that, you know, and, and granted we didn't grow through it in a sequence like this, 
you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to solve crimes or nothing like that. But um, so it's that it's that aspect of write what you know, I guess, in some sense. So I took a little yeah. bit of me, I poured it into this character. I took a little bit of my dad and poured it into the character. Um, maybe even the sequences in some of the, you know, the like, well, they're not flashbacks, but some of the sequences that I came up with based on your ideas um, that that. that that became two new chapters that I, that I put into the book and I felt it really gave the characters a lot of important, um, additional, um, character, um, or, or it kind of fleshed out a little bit of, of, of who they were or where they were at in life. And in, in that sense, and those are, I, th- I think, you know, important segments for the book, but, this I, I I read this because it had a little bit of you know little bit of action to it. It, it there was some you know there's some humor in it. Um, you know there's a little bit of tension so to speak. Uh, I actually had a lot of fun writing this chapter um, because of what's taking place. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been fun. Um, and granted, I say write what you know. I don't know anything about solving crimes. I don't know anything about drug dealing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know <laughs> none of that stuff. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I've been to, I've been to Hawaii. Uh, I've, I've been in college. <laughs> I had a dad, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, I think it it's, I think that chapter is pretty, uh, I think that's pretty much the same as when I read it. So I don't know that you made any, any changes there are nothing material anyway. So yeah. And yeah, the, I think probably maybe rewording some things from clear for clarity, um, mm-hmm. aspect, uh, you know, and, and that's where, you know, I've been leaning on stuff. I mean, she's great. She hears things, especially if I read something, she goes, wait, 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 what? Uh, no, that kind of sounds like this. And I'll go, Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. And then I go back mm-hmm. and read, okay, how can I either condense this? How can I reword it? What's a better word choice? Um, some stuff like that. But, um, I, I think once I get, as I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm getting pretty close to, to, to being final with the editing process, so to speak, I'm going to give it to her and let her, you know, redline it and do whatever else she's going to do and, and, you know, her notes and comments and, and butcher it and then come back and clean it up some more. And I figured that'll probably take me another, I don't know, another few weeks maybe. Uh, but I'd like to, what I'd, I think what I'll do then is at that point, as it's in its quote unquote final you know, where I've got it, where it's where I want it for its final piece is probably I'll, I'll, I'll probably resend it to you guys. Um, it's, it, it, it's come in at about, it's almost 75,000 words now, which is, I think 12 or 13,000 words shorter than when, what I sent you guys <laughs> before. That's how much <laughs> it's changed. So, Oh, I couldn't yeah. tell you where I'm at. <laughs> Whole book wise. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. And- well, and- I think that's probably about where I'm going to end up to somewhere around there. I'm not worried exactly, but something like that. And and the frustrating thing about it is, and I can't remember who I was talking about or who I was talking with. Um, There's a couple of people in, and I know, you know, Rod, you mentioned Vince and I know he's written stuff and had some books published. There's a couple of, there's one other person in Brown's Twitter who's been great helping me, um, who's published, he writes, he actually writes in Hollywood now for TV and film, but um, but he's been helpful in, uh, you know, ideas, concepts, not so much from, from my story standpoint, but how to go about getting yourself into the writing world, you know, how to approach things, how to, you know, how to deal with people in, in whatever vein. But, mm-hmm. and I've, and we were talking about it and the whole frustrating aspect of some of this stuff is it's bad enough that there's a ton of agents. 
But then to top it off, they all want something different. And then to top it off, not do they only want different genres. Inside of those genres, they want different types of characters. And just like everybody else, they go with new trends. They go with what's trendy, what's hot. So there's that. But then there's what is considered industry standards, you know, of if you're writing this type of novel, this type of genre, it should be X number of words. And I'm like, Oh man. So you get there and you know, yeah. Okay. Now, well, I guess this book feels quote unquote light. So how do I, you know, how do I flush this out? How do I make it more, you know, how do I create more story content? How do I give it, you know, how do I write just to, to, for the sake of story and not to just be throwing words on a page to to meet the industry standard of X number of words. Mm -hmm. And so that became, that became, um, that became a, a, a really exhausting undertaking too, you know, uh, how, you know, I don't want just a bunch of rambling gibberish just for the sake of filling out, you know, pages. Yeah, and, and so, yeah. Yeah. It, be, it became exhaust. It, 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 it became exhausting. I mean, the creative aspect, the creative process is fun. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. Writing these characters is fun. Um, you know, like I said, I got to the end of the first novel and I was like, okay, I still have more I can do with this. And and I know you and I have talked about this. I came up with another one. I started writing that one right away. I came up with a third one that's currently sitting on the back burner, um, as I go. So I've actually got these other ideas for future novels, um, out there working with these same characters. And I think the thing is, is I I can see why people may write from like you, like you even talked about it too with this, with the, with the book you're writing currently, you've talked about, Hey, I might be able to possibly do other things, a second novel, a third novel with these same characters, with this same group of people, you, you get into such a comfort zone and and you enjoy you. And it's, you know, I picked up the novel and I started re-editing and everything and I reread it and all this kind of stuff. It's like spending time with old friends, you know, you get in there. It's like, it's like, you you know, you you know who they are, you know, how they, um, you know, how they interact. Um, and I think I've tagged you guys before, but there's a person on Twitter. I think her name is Jupiter. Um, but she, she started doing something that I really enjoyed and I've started doing that with my characters, but she puts these writing prompts out there. Of it's kind of like a Q and a with your character. And, and when, as, as soon as you sit down and interview your character, it forces you to get an answer and create more additional depth to that person. And, and I went, and I was like, wow, this, and it really, it, 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 it created more, it created more scenes in my book. It created more dialogue in my book. It helped flesh out the characters even more. It helped create more emotional content in some aspects. And so I think that is a very, that's, that's another one of those tools that I think becomes very beneficial in the writing process and the storytelling process. I remember when I did a book tour for the, for the feast, my first book. And one of the things I had to do was actually someone asked questions and I had to answer them back as the main characters. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, this, yeah, this, this, this would conceptually be the same concept, same, yeah. you know, and, and so I thought that was really interesting, you know, and once you start some, in some cases, Hey, you ask that, you ask your character a question, you may have that answer right there on top of the head. Some of them, you, you ask that character a difficult question and you're going to have to think about it. Okay. What would he say? 
what would his behaviors be in the sense of how to answer that? What would uh-huh. his, you know, what would the actions be? What would, how is that relational to his interaction with his father or whatever the case may be? And, and it forces you to, to look at it with a little bit more depth. And, and, and I think it helps, it helps build, it helps not only build the character, but it helps build the book and help build the story. Yeah. Totally. Well, guys, this has been fun. We've been we've been talking a while, so uh, so. Uh, um, time flies. Time definitely <laughs> flies when we talk. Like this right. future. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, everybody. Um, hopefully, people enjoy listening to this. Um, you know, um, would not mind doing this with uh, with other people if they're interested in in reading. Ex- excerpts or you know or anything else that they're writing so um if, if yeah, we should get pam on here one of these days i know she yeah, yes. would want to come on or, or uh anybody else who's you know who's who's writing um contact me and and we'll see if we can set something up so yeah um definitely but uh but for now i, I guess um i guess hopefully hopefully people enjoy it and and hopefully uh we'll, we're just going to keep writing and working on these things guys words more words and lots of words and a lot i still of got two more stories to write <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and i still book. i still got several chapters to write and and a lot of work so um so we'll just keep doing it but it's been great talking to you guys so uh call it call it an end on the podcast and uh, we thank everybody for listening thanks all <laughs>